0: Um, again, if you've joined us over the summer, you may have heard us say this at least once that our lead pastor Scott and Caro has been away on sabbatical, which has been just a wonderful thing for our church community for him to go and do a deeper, uh, more restful kind of work, but he will be back next week preaching, so we're so excited about that. But that means we have one more dear friend of the Foundry who is going to come today and open God's Word to us and just speak from um, his experience and uh, and truly the way he really lives this out. Um, he's going to talk to us today and open God's Word. So would you welcome Andy McNeely this morning? You can clap. <laughs> Good morning, Baltimore neighbors and friends. Glad to be here again. Thank you all for the honor of being invited to preach and being able to again uh, stand before neighbors and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, something that has radically transformed my life. And if it hasn't transformed yours, it's my prayer that someday it will. Um, It was Our founder and the one who we follow, Jesus, who said that he came to earth to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says that I have come for sinners. These are the people that Jesus came for. The people who were without hope. The people who were without a future. The people who were without a people And if you've lived life at all, which you all have, you know that he's talking about us. (laughs) That's us. We have been in those places without and in need of the love of Jesus. And that's who he's come for. So, In the book of Acts, which is what we'll be studying today, if you have your Bible, it comes right after, hopefully, the well-worn pages of the gospel in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is followed by Acts, which is the story of what the young baby church looked like uh, as soon as Jesus had established it. And the book of Acts begins with Jesus uh, departing. And as Jesus departs from this earth, you can imagine it's a sad moment. The Jews uh, who were following him and had become Christ followers Christians, they, of course, were wildly upset and broken because they had waited centuries and generations for the Savior, for the Messiah. And here he was in Jesus, and now he was leaving. But it also was a markedly sad, disappointing moment for Gentile Christians, for those who didn't grow up as one of God's people, and for them, Jesus was the embodiment of an invitation to join up in God's story. And now they watch as that disappears into the heavenly realms. It was a, a difficult moment. But Jesus, as God always does throughout the scripture, does not leave us without hope. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says to his disciples, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back, but you won't know when. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the phrase that we're going to sit with today, the ends of the earth. The New Testament, these words that Jesus spoke would have been written in the Aramaic language Jesus spoke and the Greek, which it was the New Testament's written in. There are undertones from the Hebrew Old Testament, and there's also Egyptian texts that also help us all those things understand that that phrase, to the ends of the earth, might be better translated for us, where heaven meets earth when we go to the ends of the earth, the end of something is always the beginning of something else, right? And so that's where heaven meets earth. And that's kind of the picture I want us to develop today as we walk through um, some of the book of Acts. Heaven is a beautiful picture, an ideal idea that we have of God's perfect will. When we think of heaven, we think of everything working, right? We think of Things being right and being the way that God designed them and created them. Things just working as they should. That's what heaven is. And when we think of earth, we think of humanity's brokenness. We think of difficulty and struggle and hurt and harm. And where these two meet, where heaven meets earth, is what the ends of the earth is like. It's a place where everyone is heard. It's a place where each person is cared for with patience and love. It's a place where the wrong things are made right, and when there is no pain. It's a place where the power structures that have caused harm are no more, and instead power is shared. It's a place where Jesus' words, when He said that, I have come that you may have life to the full, that's where it happens. That full life happens at the ends of the earth. And as we should expect from reading the Gospels, the story of Jesus, we should expect that Jesus would be the one who would lead us to the ends of the earth. And he is. Jesus is the one who will lead us there. Jesus himself embodies this collision both fully man and fully God, colliding in one being. He's a paradox, right? And over and over again, it creates a lot of tension, a lot of tension with all the people around him. They don't know what to do with him. They get angry, they get sad, they get overwhelmed, they leave, they come back. People just don't know how to handle Jesus and eventually they will kill Jesus for it. This Jesus who embodies heaven and earth, the one who everyone wants to touch and who is touching the untouchable the one who is without sin, eating with the sinners. He's just an incredible paradox, and through him and following him, we can better understand what the ends of the earth is like. The Good Samaritan is a beautiful story that Jesus tells Um, that helps us better understand, maybe just briefly, what uh, exactly the ends of the earth looks like. The Good Samaritan is a story that that all of us have heard. It's a part of our culture. In fact, my wife worked at a hospital here in Baltimore called Good Samaritan. It's just a story that we know about a person who helped another person who needed help, right? And we often think of it, and that's kind of where the story ends, and we forget that the person helping the other person, they were from groups that were not meant to be together, groups that were against one another often, groups that didn't get together, and groups that often saw each other as enemies, and here they are coming together. It's another story Jesus gives us to point us towards what the ends of the earth looks like. In the book of Acts, we hear the story of the church told. It's a fantastic book. You've got to read it, um, and it's full of so much excitement and newness and so many things going on. You've got to read it a few times to really grasp it, but in the beginning, we see Peter following Jesus into this unknown. Into this place that is the ends of the earth. We watch Peter timidly follow Jesus when God says, listen, Peter, I'm going to send you the Gentiles and you got to let them in. You got to allow them to come and be a part. I know you think we've been telling you all along that you're supposed to be separate and different and and not allow everyone in. Well, that's changing and we want you to let everyone in. And so Peter follows Jesus into that space, to the ends of the earth. And then we'll see in this story today in acts how barnabas brings paul as they follow jesus into this unknown liminal space as they go to the gentiles to a place called antioch and so if you have your bibles turn to acts chapter 11 we're going to read and we'll have it up on the screen for you too in acts chapter 11 verses 19 to 26 we're going to read about the ends of the earth which is antioch Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, this happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where Stephen, a Christian, is stoned to death. And naturally, all the Christians are really upset, sad, scared, and so they flee. And so they scatter across the known world. And they go to places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And when they get there, they tell the message of Jesus only to the Jews. Now, this might seem curious to you until you go back and read your Gospels again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're reminded that's what Jesus did. Jesus, when he entered into towns and cities, he started with the people of God, with the Jewish people, and he shares um, that he is the Messiah. And so they followed suit. The The Christians do the same thing. And some of these Christians, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why do they send Barnabas? Because Barnabas is Greek. He's a Cyprian, and so they send him um, to uh, Antioch to see what's going on. And when he arrives, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them, which is what the name Barnabas means, encourager. It's a great name if you're looking for baby names. Um, uh, He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas was so excited, he goes to Tarsus and he gets the apostle Paul. And when he finds him, he brings him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, the two of them meet with the church and teach great numbers of people. And here's a key phrase here, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's the first place that we see the word Christian, this name, this moniker uh, for those who would follow Jesus. Antioch becomes this seminal place, this incredible moment, this pivotal turn in the story of of Christianity. It becomes the home base for the Gentile Christians out to the world. It becomes the returning, the the place where they send out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey to start new churches. They send them out in Acts 13 from Antioch. It's the place where they return in Acts 15 when they're done with that first journey. In Acts 15 verse 30 is the place where when the the head of the church in Jerusalem creates this document that they want all of the Christians to read. The first place they send it is Antioch. Antioch becomes this place where heaven meets earth. And you can imagine with with different cultures and backgrounds and different beliefs and people who were born and raised being told that they were the people of God and people who were born and raised being told that they weren't. You can imagine the tension in a church like that, right? 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 Can you imagine that? You can imagine that tension and that difficulty. And it's true. It was this beautiful mess, but it really was beautiful. And we see in the scriptures that these Gentile Christians are living on mission in community with Jewish Christians and heavens meeting earth in this place. Acts chapter 11, uh, this passage we just read, it begins with a picture of Christians leaving their home base, which is Jerusalem, to go to Antioch to share with the Antioch Jews. And the Antioch Jews are this unique group of people because many of them are Greek. And so they have this ability to do what's called code switching. Have any of you guys heard of that code switching before? It's just this, this concept of this idea, and you may have heard it in Baltimore, where you have this ability to go from one group of people that's unique and uh, to another group of people that's unique and different from the first group, and you can fit in in both places. Maybe some of you all have that personality or that ability where you can you can kind of morph and, and fit in in different places. And that's the beauty of this story. A lot of times we look at our history and our, our past, and we say, oh, we don't want to talk about our past. But they were able to use their past and say, hey, we're Greeks too, and identify with and really um, start this or continue this movement of the explosion of Christianity onto the scene. And we see the Holy Spirit at work um God at work in what really was a dangerous time in a dangerous place when Christians were being stoned to death and were being persecuted um, we see a lot of growth in the church of Antioch and it's exciting Jesus uh, prepared the disciples for this moment he he told them about this hey it's coming I know you guys are comfortable around all the people who are similar to you, but it's coming when everyone else is going to be welcomed in. John chapter 10 verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, Jesus said. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. If you've ever been an outsider anywhere, which you probably have been, then you know that this is good news. That the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, will go to the ends of the earth to find us and to rescue us with his love. And so I begin with this question. Throughout this sermon, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. And it'll be helpful for you guys to write stuff down or to just remember, think about it, right? Some of you guys have amazing memories. But just think about these questions in your own context When's the last time that you stepped into a space like that an unknown space a liminal space an in between something that was the ends of the earth for you when when's the last time you went there with the intent of sharing good news with those people because as christians that's where we're sent is to the ends of the earth well today i want to look at three different points right what good of a preacher would i be if i didn't have three good points for you Three points for you today about um, the church in Antioch, because the church in Antioch teaches us about what the ends of the earth looks like, about where we're supposed to go. What was Jesus talking about when he said, go to the ends of the earth? Well, first of all, he was talking about a place. A place matters because of the people that are there. You all live in places, right? You live in a neighborhood. You live on a block. You go to work at a place There is a place where you are rooted where you are a part of where you are one of and that place matters because there are people in that place and those people matter we learn in the uh from the church in antioch that the place matters the place of antioch is is a city on the southern tip of modern day turkey It's an important city because it's where the trade routes of the Silk Road and the King's Road intertwine with one another. It's this huge near eastern city that's occupied by the Romans. It's fortified. So you've got Greek and Roman and Israel, and you've got all these different people mixing and meshing together in this city. Antioch is also a port city. It's on the way to everywhere, and it's incredibly important. That's how I see Baltimore. It's also Um, a city that uh, becomes incredibly diverse and influential because there's so many people going through it. Another way that I see Baltimore. And we'll see throughout history that Antioch becomes a city that gets used up and forgotten. Some of you may see Baltimore in that way as well. Well, i had the fortunate uh, opportunity a few years ago to be a part of a cohort of um, intercultural pastors of of pastors uh, and church leaders from across the country Um, and we were all seeking uh, to learn more from each other's experiences about how to lead intercultural churches about how to lead churches that were made up of people from different cultures different backgrounds and the church that we led here in baltimore and north baltimore Uh, was such a church, and so we were really curious. I got to be a part of this group, and the man who led it was a friend of mine named Brandon Wrencher. He's an incredible pastor and social activist in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, He's the type of person that is really challenging. Do you have someone in your life like that who, like, whenever you're around them, you're kind of exhausted because they just challenge every thought you have, and you're just like, oh, this is so good, and I need this, but I'm also exhausted, right? It's not the place you go for rest, um, but it is the place you go when you want to be challenged. Uh, my friend Brandon is like that. Um, and in this group, he, he said this as we were studying this passage. I wrote this down. These Jewish Christians, they don't limit themselves to only speaking about the good news to, of Jesus to the Jews. They enter into relationship with non-Jews, with persons and communities from diverse religious, cultural, and political backgrounds. He asked this question, what happens when the mission of Jesus does not abide by the segregationism or assimilationism of the day? What happens when these Jewish Christians enter into solidarity with Gentiles? The reason that the place you are matters is because there are people there who you need to be in solidarity with. You need to be linking arms for good purposes, to do good things with the people around you. That's what community is. It's so important that we live in that way, in the places where we are. Place matters. And so I ask you, what are the places that you find yourself in? And does it feel like the ends of the earth? Are you starting to see and sense and taste heaven on earth in those places? Because you are a keeper of heaven. With the Holy Spirit in you as a Christian, you get to bring heaven to that little slice of earth where you are and so I'm asking you is your place does it does it taste like heaven place is one of the things we learn from the church in Antioch about what the ends of the earth look like the second is power power matters and power is used by us and against us and sometimes for us power is such an important conversation to have but an interesting and awkward one to have when talking about the Christians in this story in the church in Antioch these Christians were Jewish Christians most of them and they would have in Antioch been by far the minority and certainly people without power they were certainly people who uh, were on the bottom rung of society they were not leading or in the government uh, or engaged in any way that from the outside people would say these are powerful people and yet throughout the book of acts we see that they are powerful people if you read the beginning of the book of acts you would know that that power is from the Holy Spirit it's a power that people don't understand it's a power that you sense and you feel when you have Christ in your life and when you've accepted Christ you have the Holy Spirit in you and so you begin to sense it and you begin to experience it, but it's a hard thing to really understand. And so people don't really know what to do with that power when they see the Christians um, living in that way. One of the things that um, uh, Brandon, my friend, this is probably the best quote, the best thing from this whole sermon. So if you want to write something down, this is the thing to write down, okay? We'll put it on the screen for you. The new Jesus movement that we read about here in the church in Antioch it did not operate by power over domination. We know what that looks like, right? That, that's abuse. We live in a city where if you watch the Orioles games, you see lots and lots of commercials about uh, this law group who is inviting those who have been harmed by church leaders in the past to work with them um, to get, um, to you know, to, to sue those people. And And that is a good thing. It's good that there is... Um, action being taken about that. But that's a reality in our city where abuse is happening, where power is used over. That's not that's not the way these Christians are living. They're also not living power under. That's toxic charity. That's, that's belittling people, right? By uh, having a sense of arrogance when you serve people. No, this is a very different thing. It's not over. It's not under. It's a power with. It's a power beside. It's linking arms in solidarity. It's being beside and with those people as you work uh, for them. It's really an incredible type thing um, to watch and to witness and a beautiful type of power that we see in the church in Antioch. And we witness the church in Antioch living this out, first and foremost, by bringing in and elevating the poor, um, by, by living for them and caring for them. It's a thing we see in the church in Antioch as the oppressed people are moving from an it, or a group, to an I, where there's an understanding now of individuality and of people mattering because they were created in the image of God, every person. That's happening in the church in Antioch. And now, instead of a sense of arrogance by the Jewish Christians, they're accepting and they're living together side by side. And it's, it's really pretty beautiful. We also witness the oppressors, those in power, moving from I to we. This is a difficult thing to do if you've been raised in a culture like in America, where we're told, right, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. You can accomplish it. There's not a lot of we. But as you engage with in a city like Baltimore, when you engage with people from other countries, you engage with people from other communities, you start to see that it's not like that everywhere in the world. And the Christian way is communal. The Christian way is a we. It is us together. And it's important that that move is made. In the church in Antioch, power is about spirituality. That power is coming from God. And so you have to ask yourself whose power are you operating in? When you are seeking the ends of the earth, when you're looking to go out and to use the power that you have, is it the power of Christ that you're using? or is it your own personal power so the church in Antioch teaches us that the ends of the earth is a place the ends of the earth is power and the ends of the earth is protest protest is a word that in our city often gives us it rubs us right it makes us uncomfortable and we're just not sure what to do with that well you're not alone uh that word protest is a hard word to swallow and to wrestle with but the word protest I want you to think about it in terms of standing Now, we all know that to protest something is to stand up, right? You stand up for something. You know that something is true, that something is right. You can use the Scriptures to know what those things are. And and to stand up for that is a beautiful, incredible thing. That's a protest. But to protest is not just to stand up. It's also to stand with. If you find yourself standing and you're alone, check yourself and see if maybe— the reason you're alone is because you're seeking more power. But if you're doing it right, you're standing up for the truth with others for the sake of others. And thirdly, you're standing in the power of Christ. If you find yourself standing up protesting something, and you're standing up for truth with others and for the sake of others, and in the power of Christ, you can't go wrong. You're in the right place there. But it's also, as you know, if you've ever been to a protest like I have, it's It is uncomfortable. It is tense. It is difficult. It's not relaxing. Uh, It is a very tense place. It's the ends of the earth. But I've also seen heaven meet earth in places like that. Um, Protest is is an important thing that we learn and see from the church in Antioch. And one of the ways uh, we're going to talk about um, the church doing that. But before that, let me read another quote from my friend Brandon. He had so much good stuff to say about this. He said, these, th- these acts that the early church committed, electing mixed-race deacons, ministering to the needs of racially mixed widows, choosing to participate in a family by baptism and not by blood, are acts of resistance, practices of struggle that bring into existence a new way of life. If you're Irish or um, Italian or really from many different countries, you may have a real genuine sense of family. Uh, My wife's family is from Ireland. Her grandfather came over on a boat by himself, and family's everything. Family is just, uh, you would die for your family, right? Blood is thicker than water, we say, except for these Christians who say that the, bapt- the waters of baptism are what will unite them, and so they come across, they come together across racial lines, across lines of poverty and wealth, uh, you know, across all of these different lines, and they live life in Antioch in a way that we should model as Christians. My friend Brandon, I was telling you about, um, he was mentored by uh, my favorite theologian, my favorite um, uh, commentaries that I've ever read. Uh, are written by a man named Willie James Jennings uh, Willie James Jennings is a brilliant um, man with incredible insight he's an African-American pastor um, and theologian professor he uh, right he wrote the commentary on the book of Acts that I'm preaching from today and he said that Barnabas is really the star of this story a lot of times we look at this story in the beginning of Acts chapter 11 it's Peter and at the end of Acts chapter 11 it's Paul and you miss that Barnabas is the connector Barnabas is the one who took a step and did the difficult thing who put himself out there on the line to become the bridge from Jerusalem to Antioch Uh, it's really beautiful Willie James Jennings says that Barnabas carries the story of newness in his body that he becomes a site of the in-between this place where heaven meets earth at the ends of the earth that's who Barnabas becomes and Barnabas, along with all of these other followers of Jesus, they start to raise a ruckus, basically. They have, they're living in such a countercultural way that the Romans begin to get a little afraid of them in Antioch, and the Greeks, and the Jews, and everyone doesn't know what to do with them. And one of the ways we see this expressed is that they give these people a name, and they call them Christians. Initially, in this story, we see that it wasn't a compliment. It wasn't like, something that Christians gave themselves that name. No, they were called that as something that was like, you guys are weird. You guys don't fit in here. And so we got to give you this group a name. And that was the name that they were given was Christians. And today it's something that we love and that we accept. I love it. I like being called Christian because it has the name of Jesus in it. Um, But initially that's not what it was. It was almost an act of protest to be called a Christian. It was to say, I don't fit in here and for good reason we want to live differently we want to be different that reminds me of the Freedom Riders of 1961. a group of black and white rich and poor educated differently coming from different backgrounds different socioeconomics got together on a bus and they rode into towns and neighborhoods where they were not welcomed and instead of witnessing at first heaven coming to earth they witnessed fire bombs and they were harmed and people were just violently terrible towards them they entered into this dangerous space at the ends of the earth but they did it with intent to protest against what was wrong and to stand for something right and it made a huge uh, world-changing difference i began to think this week how is the foundry protesting? What is the foundry standing against, standing for? And, and I had all sorts of things flood to my mind. I've uh, been engaged with the foundry for oh, at least 10 years now. I count myself a friend of many of the staff and people here at the church. And so I kind of know your story. And, and it wasn't hard to come up with ways that the foundry is protesting against um, the, the false ways of, of the world. Here are some that I thought of off the top of my head. One, Uh, the Foundry protests against busyness. One of the clear examples of that is that your uh, senior pastor has been away for three months on a sabbatical. That's beautiful. That's you all saying, listen, we're not going to continue to be busy. We're not going to continue to overwhelm someone. We're not going to continue to ask more of. We're going to have them take a break. That's countercultural, right? Like most of our workplaces don't say that to us. Hey, take a break for a few months. No, right? They're coming to you and they're like, here's another project. Here's some more people. Help me more, you know? Um, But the church has this ability to stand in that way. And by you all doing that, it gives you a story to tell when you're at your workplace. Not in a way where you're like, oh, I wish you would give us one. You know, it sucks working here. Don't do that go in and, and use it as a potential moment to have a conversation with them and say like, man, this church that I'm a part of is doing such great things that they're standing up for uh, rest, which is a, a, something that God has gifted us with. You all also um, resist loneliness here at this church. You guys have these groups called blessed groups based on this incredible book I recommend you read. Uh, and these blessed groups are made up of people from different neighborhoods and different places and backgrounds. And, and you guys are protesting against loneliness by living together. You're beginning to have an imagination for this? It, protesting is not just with a sign on the street. It is, there's more to it. And these are ways in which you can protest against um, the things of this earth. Uh, lastly, the... You guys stand up against the inequity in our city by creating this beautiful thing every year called the Christmas Store. I don't know if you've been a part of it, but the church um, uh, that we pastored got to participate in that a couple years. We helped with the foundry years ago when you first started doing it, and then we got to do it at our church a couple years. And it really uh, was just magnificent to see the honor and dignity that you all are giving back to people as you engage in that Christmas Store. So good job. Look around. Look at yourselves and see that it's happening here. And you know how to do it. So continue on that path. Think about where is it that you are choosing to enter into the ends of the earth? Where are you choosing to be in a place of tension so that you can see more heaven coming to earth? We began the sermon by saying that Jesus came for sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for those who are hopeless, without a future, without a people. That's who Jesus came for. And he gave us a mission to share that good news, to welcome in, in every person, and to go out and find those people and bring them in. And so I ask you, is that something you're doing, Christian? Are you going into places that are the ends of the earth to find people and share the good news with them? Remember as you go though that you can't go to the ends of the earth by your own power. You must do it in the power of Christ and you shouldn't ever go to the ends of the earth alone. You go together as a church. It's something that we are gifted with the church. This beautiful expression that we see here in Antioch is coming to life here at the foundry where you all are beginning to look like uh, heaven meeting earth. It's really quite a beautiful thing. I wonder, as I've preached this sermon, if it's something that you can see. Can you see what heaven looks like meeting earth? Can you taste it in the places in your life? I want to put a picture up here of my neighborhood because I can. I can taste it. I've tasted what heaven meeting earth feels like this is a street uh, the street that we live on it's our house in the background there and for a couple of years we've set off fireworks on the fourth of July and the last time that we did it we actually I counted as the people were coming and going is over a hundred people from our neighborhood came and went to come and see us blow up stuff we didn't we didn't put out a flyer we didn't tell anybody we didn't put out a text message everyone just showed up because we were blowing stuff up And it gave us this awesome opportunity to pray with neighbors, to talk with them, to deepen relationships. And I can't begin to tell you how many people from interactions like that we've been able to tell tell about the good news of Jesus because of that, because we blew stuff up. So find a way to go to the ends of the earth, to go to the people who aren't yet experiencing heaven on earth, and to take the heaven in you to those people. Ah, it's such a rich and beautiful imagery to think about heaven on earth it's something that we all want and we all long for and as we go along the way when you reach the ends of the earth what you'll realize is you're not there yet (laughs) there's another ends of the earth right and because as as they arrived at Antioch they didn't settle and say okay we're done no they planted hundreds and thousands and churches today are exist because of Antioch um and so it's not a work that ever ends The really cool thing is that when we arrive in the end where heaven meets earth when jesus returns one of the cool things that we'll recognize is that jesus heaven was with us all along and so i close with this blessing may we be christians who are a people that follow the holy spirit to the ends of the earth wherever that may be that we follow in his power that we stand up with and in his power and that we do it so that not just we but also our neighbors can see heaven meet earth amen